four Reds prospects have made their way into MLB Pipeline's top 100. We'll tell you who they are and what we think about it. Then we'll dive into Reds history and look at some statistics, and you know I love statistics, from some of the greatest Reds players of all time. And all of that's before taking your comments and questions on today's live Aloha Friday edition of the Locked on Reds podcast. Roll the intro, Jeffrey. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself, Jeff Carr, and my co-host, Stephen Offenbaker. We are lifelong Cincinnati Reds fans that have turned an addiction to this team and to information for you. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to us talk some Reds with you. We encourage you, if you're listening on the audio version of the podcast, hit us up on Twitter, or if you're watching us right here on the live edition of the podcast on YouTube, definitely jump into our comment section. Give us some questions. Give us some thoughts about the Reds, because talking Reds is what we do, and we want to talk Reds with you. Locked on Reds is part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We are your team. Every day and on today's podcast, we want to talk about some Reds of the future, some Reds of the past, and take your questions and comments as well. We're going to start, though, Steve, with the Reds of the future because the MLB Pipeline um, rankings came out here yesterday. They were released last night, and the Reds got four guys in the top 100, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see some more jump in. Yeah, well, and when you look at this list, Jeff, I mean, the the number one player on this list, if if you were surprised by this, you haven't been paying attention for the last couple of years because, uh, you know, Ellie De La Cruz being the leader of the Reds prospect group should come as a shock to nobody. Uh, what surprised me a little bit, though, um, is the number 10 ranking. Uh, because I really thought he would have uh, squeaked in just a little bit higher than that. I was kind of hoping to see him around the five, six range. And uh, if for nothing else, for the fact that he has just come on out of nowhere, uh, if you remember that there was a time when he was not on anybody's radar, he wasn't on anybody's list. When he really started going off in Daytona, uh, people were calling around trying to find out who is this guy and it would make sense to me for him to not be the, you know, one, two, three, maybe even four. But I think there's an argument for him to be the five, six, seven prospect in baseball. Ten, ten feels a little soft is what I'm saying, Jeff. Well, I think I agree with you. And I, I think the reasoning for it based on a lot of different stuff that I've read, because whether you're talking about baseball America, whether you're talking about MLB pipeline, like we're looking at today, whether you're talking about fan graphs, all of them, they all rate him as the top Reds prospect. And a lot of them are split as to where in the top 10 he ranks, but they all have him in the top 10. I think the biggest reason for MLB Pipeline's conservative ranking here is because a lot of folks believe that as high a ceiling as he has, he still also has kind of a low floor. They're not really sure what to expect from him. I think that you and I are both of the agreement that he's going to hit that ceiling and he's just going to keep going because he is uber talented. We We've seen the results on the field. We know exactly what to expect from him once he gets called up. And I will note this too, uh, on top of the conservative ranking, MLB pipeline did something interesting because they, they have 
all of the different uh, prospects and the levels that they're currently at, they have him listed at the MLB level. Well, you know, I think that that's a reasonable guess on their part. And I don't think that that means they're projecting him to make the opening day roster. Although I think that it's a possibility. We've talked about that. Uh, but the Reds are going to be very hard pressed to not have him up soon. Yeah. And he's going to, he's going to play a lot in 2023. So, you know, while it says it and it's going to happen, I don't think that that means, uh, when you get your opening day ticket, you're going to see Ellie De La Cruz at shortstop. Yeah, I I would wonder, and it's interesting because um, you know, friend of the show, crazy, and some other folks have been talking with me about this. If they do have him on the opening day roster and he finishes high on the rookie of the year list, the Reds get an extra draft pick for that. So there's a little bit of an incentive, especially in a year where. I think the stated goal and the goal that everybody should understand is that they're trying to figure out what they have in guys on the roster. So they're going to be playing a lot of young guys are going to be playing some guys that need to prove it. And I think that he could really fit into the, okay, if we let him prove it and he really does pan out as quickly as we hope he can, then he could benefit the reds with an extra draft pick. So I, I'd be interested to see, I, I think that there's definitely, you know, we always joke that, okay, well, yeah, the percentage chance is greater than one, but we're not necessarily sure that it's much higher than that. I think that there's a pretty good shot. He makes the opening day roster. So it, it's exciting to see all of the recognition that he has received from just about every minor league publication out there. It is. And you know, what's interesting with this list, Jeff, is a couple things I find super interesting, but the lack of pitching on this list yeah. is one of the things that really stood out to me because none of the up and coming arms are ranked. And I kind of like it that way. Uh, these pitchers like to have chips on their shoulders. I don't know if you've noticed that or not about these pitchers, uh, but these pitchers like to have chips on their shoulders. And I think that will serve as a great motivator for a lot of these guys. You know, if, if Williamson needed one more thing to be no motivated about to make the rotation, here it is. If Stout needed one more thing to try to break through and get that, uh, you know, fourth or fifth spot in the rotation, here it is. If Chase Petty needed something, if Connor Phillips needed something, here it is. They're not ranked at all in the top 100. So uh, I found that a little interesting. But, you know, the next guy on the list did not surprise me. And we're, let's just get this out of your system already. So, uh, for the YouTube viewers only, uh, Jeff has a favorite clip that he likes to play. And for the audio listeners, uh, when this guy does reach Cincinnati, you're going to be able to listen to the Reds on the radio and know who hit the home run from the sound because Jeff is ingraining it in your head. So without further ado, Mr. Noel V. Marte. Ah, man, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Noel V. Marte comes in at number 29 on MLB's pipeline top 100, Jeff. Uh, what do you think about the placement as far as that ranking goes? And are you surprised that he's the number two guy in the red system? I definitely think it's fair. Um, it's interesting because I know that Baseball America really dropped him down their list. He was a top 20 guy in Baseball America before the trade. And this year, I think he's like in the 40s or the 50s. So pipeline's a little bit higher on him in that regard. But I think that it's well warranted. I mean, the bat is amazing. And when you're talking about 
his plate discipline, it, it wasn't necessarily on display in Arizona, but the numbers don't show a free swinger who just misses a whole bunch. But when he happens to hit something, it goes that far. It's he is a pretty solid all around hitter that just has a lot of power as well. So I'm very excited to see that. And I think that, you know, we, we've talked about the fact that the Reds have already begun the process of moving him from shortstop to, tr- to third base. They even list him on uh, MLB Pipeline as a third baseman. I think Baseball America has him listed as a third baseman. People get it. Or actually, I take that back. MLB Pipeline still has him as shortstop. But anyway, I've seen him listed as a third base in other in other areas, and I think that is the – I'm going to be very excited to see how he continues to develop because he's not a guy that I expect to be up early. If, if he is up, it's going to be probably August, maybe even September. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, with Noel V, I think it's a 2024 thing, actually. Um, I would really be surprised to see him this year. Now, I mean, it'd be great if he plays his way into it, but I suspect that they're going to try and stagger these guys just as much as they can. And it would make sense to me that unless injuries force their hand somewhere along the way, that they would try and save back uh, his debut for 2024 but with the ranking i think that they've got this right as far as him being the second best position player prospect in the reds organization right now Uh, i agree with you i think the reds did the smart thing which we don't get to say very often in making a determination early okay we've got to move guys everybody can't play shortstop somebody needs to be a third baseman guess what it's you and they just went in on that. And I think that that's great. I think it's great that Noel V uh, embraced it, didn't push back. Uh, and hopefully, you know, his body type continues to develop. You know, we got to remember when we talk about these young guys, what you see right now is not what you're going to get five years from now. These guys are still growing. They're young dudes that um, are going to bulk up more. In some cases, maybe get taller. And they're going to have to to make adjustments to where they play and how they play. Um, I had an interesting conversation with uh, somebody uh, within the Reds organization over the last week that, you know, expressed some concern about this this body type that the Reds have gone all in on. And I hadn't really spent a lot of time thinking about it until uh, this person uh, who didn't give me permission to repeat. So I'm not going to identify, but this person, you know, basically pointed out that when you're talking about uh, a hitter like Ellie De La Cruz, that's just absolutely enormous playing at the major league level, you remember that, you know, it's not a, a, a set strike zone as far as the size of the strike zone. The strike right. zone is based on your body from basically, you know, the chest to the knees, right? Uh, to, to put it roughly. So in the case of Ellie De La Cruz, that is a whole lot of territory to cover that is a big space and you know I, I didn't put a lot of thought into that before but you know some of these prospects that haven't haven't panned out within organizations have these huge body types these huge strike zones and when they face major league pitching they can't cover it so I think that is going to be a, a big test for guys like Ellie Day the Cruz guys that continue to grow and get bigger uh, to be able to cover that much territory of a strike zone I think too what I'm hearing and and I I hope this happens because Yankees fans complain to no end. You can ask our friend Stacy Gatsoulias over at Locked On Yankees complain to no end about how umpires call Aaron Judge's low strike zone and how he's always getting strikes called in like the shins. But I, I would love to have that problem 
with Ellie De La Cruz where the where the strikes where we're worried about the strike zone because if we're worried about the strike zone that means everything else is doing pretty well. Well, let's blow through the rest of this list, Jeff. Uh, we could talk about Ellie and and Noel V for probably the entire hour if we really mm -hmm. run into uh, number three on the list. And I'm really interested to get your take on this guy being the number three prospect in the Reds organization. And that is Edwin Arroyo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's probably of this list, the farthest away, uh, pretty close to being the farthest away it's between him and, and, and Cam Collier. I think both right. of them are on the same time. Are track. you surprised at how high, everybody is on Edwin Arroyo right now because he's still kind of a long way off. I, I think that, I think that there's a bunch of different ways to rank prospects. And I think that me and you are of the same mind when we're looking at a prospect in that one of the re, one of the criteria we give them is how close are they to the major leagues? I don't necessarily think that's where scouts and where prospects prognosticators start to fig, figure anything into. I think that they look at these guys and they look at the talent and they look at where they could be, and they factor that in. There might be a little bit of how close they are to the major leagues, but I don't think they give it as much credence as guys like you and me do. However, this gets me excited because guys like Edwin Arroyo and Cam Collier are a little bit harder for me to get excited about because I know we're not going to see them for another two, three, maybe even four years in some cases, but they're telling us that when they're ready to go, it's going to be amazing. And and specifically on Edwin Arroyo, he's a guy that when I read about and when I've seen some folks talk about him, and I know Doug has mentioned this as well, is that honestly, if you're rating the best shortstops in the Reds farm system, he rates as a better shortstop than Ellie De La Cruz. And there's a possibility that down the road, whenever Arroyo is ready to go, that De La Cruz may move to third base or to the outfield or something like that so that they can put Arroyo at shortstop because all, all together, the package-wise, where you're talking about the glove and the bat, he has the best overall picture at shortstop, and whereas Ellie De La Cruz could play anywhere on the field. And we've gone crazy long on this segment, Jeff, but uh, we got one more guy to talk about, so let's just kind of dig in. Let's dig in because the <clears throat> number 69 – Nice. prospect in MLB pipelines top 100 your your friend Cam Collier that you were just talking about there's something about making 69 jokes while wearing a Hawaiian shirt I think I just got like a lot of oh, energy I don't know God. what it was. we're um, gonna get we're gonna get canceled <laughs> well when just, it comes to Cam we're gonna Collier get canceled. it's great <laughs> when it comes to Cam Collier though like I mean, all of the reports on him when the Reds drafted him, I was super impressed by the fact that, you know, he he wanted to graduate early because he wanted to face stiffer competition before he was even thought about being drafted. So this dude has already got the highest of motors and the highest of like competitive drive that you've heard of with a rookie or with a prospect or something like that. And he's super intelligent too. Like he's got the the baseline with which to fall back on that when you're, when you're going to tell me about a different prospect and, and, and their journey through the minor leagues. And the biggest question that everybody always has is how do they deal with struggles? How do they deal with their first failures? A guy like Cam Collier, I'm not worried about because he seems like that kind of dude that's just going to eat struggles for breakfast. And he's going to turn it into just even more greatness. I'm very much looking forward to his journey through the minors. I can't wait till he gets to date and want to watch a ton of them when he's a dragon. 
and then let's see where he gets in the major leagues because all all signs point to this dude being you know whenever his wave whenever his number is called up on the you know official call up time in like three or four years then he is just going to set the world on fire well jeff there's a lot of names not on this list so here's hoping that some of them can play their way into the top 100 throughout the course of the 2023 baseball season i'm talking to you matt mcclain uh, ces we hope you make an appearance and then of course the pitchers i mentioned up top uh, chase petty connor phillips all those guys uh, hopefully uh brandon williamson and uh levi stout don't have to worry about it because they're playing at the major league level and the prospect rankings won't matter. Uh, coming up, we've been talking about the, the Reds' future, uh, but during a, uh, a show prep earlier this week, Jeff and I went down a statistical rabbit hole that got us looking at some of the Reds' all-time greats, and we're going to talk about what we saw and what we found interesting coming up here in just a minute. Uh, but before we talk about that, uh, we want to talk to you about the sponsor of today's podcast. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America. That's right, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers that join today can get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed. When you place your first bet of $5, you place that $5 bet, you're going to get $150 dropped into your account. That's a pretty good deal. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on right now to get your $150 in free bets. FanDuel has all of your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same game parlay. FanDuel has this interesting future bet. For the World Series, I know you heard Jeff talking about it yesterday. Uh, I wasn't on, and since I wasn't on, maybe uh, you didn't listen to Jeff because you missed me. Just in case that's the, the the truth. And I would tell you, listen to Jeff when I'm not here because we like that guy. Uh, but he talked about this really interesting bet, and I want to kind of dig back in on it because it's really not a, a, a not a bad deal. Uh, you can take a, a bet on the World Series. Basically, where you're going to bet that one of the two New York teams, the Mets or the Yankees, win the World Series. If you take that bet, the odds are plus 330. It's a pretty good deal. Now, you could also take the rest of the field, meaning you could take all of the other teams. That one's at negative 440, so you'd get a little bit of a payout. So it's kind of that, that bet's almost a gimme, but it's not a big gimme. Uh, but either way, you could win some money over at FanDuel. So I encourage you to check that out. You can check out the odds there and more on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet on the Bengals to win the AFC Championship game. Who day? And know that you're going to get $150 in free bets dropped right into your account. Uh, that's at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And now that sports betting is legal in Ohio, Locked On has the perfect show to help new and seasoned gamblers. You can download and subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast for daily picks and analysis. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jeff, we talked about Red's future, and this feels like a, an episode of Scrooge that we're doing, you know, 
Reds past, Reds future. God help us, there were no Reds present, really, that we wanted to dig into today. But <laughs> let's talk about Reds past a little bit, because as we were prepping uh, for a show earlier this week, uh, I went down a statistical rabbit hole that made prep take like seven hours before we could record a show. <laughs> but there's a lot of interesting statistics, and uh, digging through it really gave me I guess a little bit more of appreciation for a couple of guys, one of them being Tony Perez. I'm gonna put that out there right up front that looking at Tony Perez's numbers, you know, I've been the champion of please stop comparing Tony Perez to Joey Votto because it's not even close. I still believe that. However, uh, I've always thought Tony Perez was a borderline hall of famer. If you use my, my one and only war criteria tony perez just misses but he did some amazing things in his career and a lot of the reds especially in that big red machine era did a lot of amazing things a lot of statistical oddities things that you wouldn't expect and i thought it would be fun to kind of dig through some of them jeff and one of the things that just i'll start with is the fact that so many of the guys from that 70s reds baseball played forever i mean mm -hmm. they played a long long time if if we want to say i know he wasn't around for the world series part of it and he was more a 60s guy for the reds but you know you, you go back to frank robinson who started playing for the reds when he was 20 years old and he played until he was 40 his final season was in cleveland at age 40 uh, you look at pete rose pete rose first season 1963 at age 22 his last season as a player 1986 at age 45 mm -hmm. johnny bench you know uh, played for the reds from age 19 through age 35 and almost all of that was at catcher he had uh, his sternum opened up during the course of that thing he had a lot of things happen to him and still as a catcher to catch for that long uh, it's just really a statistical oddity. Joe Morgan, everybody loves Joe, right? He started playing baseball for Houston at the age of 19, and his final season occurred in 1984 mm -hmm. at age 40. And then maybe the, the one again, Tony Perez. Here's a guy that just seemed to play and play and play and play and play. And he spent, you know, 20 plus years in the big leagues, Jeff. These guys just had so much longevity. They, they, it boggles the mind. It's no wonder that I, their counting stats are like they were. I, I think, and that's the key. And, and it's something we always talk about, especially when we try to compare Joey Votto to Reds greats, because, you know, everyone's knee jerk reaction is, well, of course he's not that great. He had one world series or anything like that. It's like, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that go into that. But when you're talking about these these players, I don't think we see guys have these kind of long careers anymore. They get to a point in their career, you know, the modern day baseball, they get a point into their career where they understand their effectiveness is not near as much as it used to be. And most of them decide to retire before that becomes an issue. And I'm not saying that that's what happened with these guys because they were awesome. Like, and, and pointing out a guy that we don't typically talk about a lot on this show, but on the baseball field, like Pete Rose, 1985, just absolutely phenomenal with a 395 on base in 119 games. Like I, I'd be far, it, it would be a far-fetched idea for you to tell me that even Miguel Cabrera nowadays having an on-base percentage near 400 if he still continued to play. You know, you pull out that 1985 season. That is one of the biggest statistical mind blowers uh 
really when is. you're talking about a couple of these dudes because you mentioned Pete Rose. He was 44 years old. You know, that's also the season that he broke uh, baseball's all-time hits record. So it's going to play a little bit into this next stat. But, you know, Pete Rose was an all-star mm -hmm. in 1985 at age 44. Uh, not to be outdone, though. Tony Perez in that same 1985 season, Jeff, he was not an all-star, but in 72 games played for the Reds in 1985, Tony Perez at age 43, his slash line, 328, 396, 470 at age 43. Mm. 72 games, you say? Sounds like he might have been a platoon player. I, I thought that was like a bad word. Tony Perez is one that jumped out at me a lot because we were, this was when we were trying to decide, are we going to call him a third baseman? Are we going to call him a first baseman? What are we going to do? And we were rating third baseman because of Scott Rowland's uh, hall of fame induction. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking at Tony Perez's, you know, third base era, basically these guys all played for the reds for so long that they all have positional eras. Uh, Pete yeah. Rose has positional eras. He played six different positions, something like that. Five different positions. Tony Perez also has positional eras uh, from third base to first base during his third base era, which was earlier in his career. Basically, if you go from 1967 through 1970, he was a third baseman in all four of those seasons. He received MVP votes in all four of those seasons. He was an all-star at third base for the Reds. And most of you still will remember him as the first baseman of the big red machine. Right. Uh, and we'll get into the comments later. Uh, you know, Everybody refers to him as being one of the most clutch hitters in Reds history, and I'll have some comments on that when we when we get there. But, I mean, it's just these stats are something else. And then swinging it back over to Pete Rose, Jeff, because you're right. We don't talk about him a lot, and for reasons. There are reasons we don't dig through this a lot. But, you know, he just kind of went out and hit the ball. You know, he led the league. He led the league three different – four different times, three different times in batting average a couple different times in on-base percentage, but he just kind of went out and plugged away at it. His, his, you know, statistical leading wasn't always there. Uh, he led the league always in things like games played and at bats, mm -hmm. but, and, and several times in hits cause he was just plugging away at it, but he didn't like just build massive amounts of stats. One thing I found interesting is for a stretch from 1974 through 1977, Pete Rose played in every single game for those four years. In fact, in 1974, he played in 163 games. Something and you he know he again, played in every playoff game, too. And he played in every playoff game. He also played in 163 games in Philadelphia in 1979. And I meant to reach out to our buddy Joe Luckup to find out how many players in baseball history have played in 163 games for multiple teams. Uh, that's that's something we got to circle back on. We got to follow like up on that with Joe. I feel like that's got to be a one-of-one one stat. And, and there's another thing that he's one-of-one. One. You mentioned the games played. Nobody is going to eclipse at least in at least in the reds it might be in major league baseball i'm not sure who it could be but on the reds he owns a statistic that will never be touched 2722 games played you're just not gonna beat that i mean Joey Votto, when he after the ninth game that he plays this year he will hit 2000 but think about that that means that he's still 722 games he would literally have to play till he's 50 
mm-hmm. because you know there'd be platooning he wouldn't be playing every day there'd be injuries all this other stuff like there's no chance and and, and joey vado i i look at this roster and you, you wonder we talked about this before is there ever going to be another career red joey vado is the only guy that i think the the last guy that would have a shot to even come close to that and like second place davy concepcion 2488 wasn't even close you have to play so many more years to touch Pete Rose's games played record that, and that's a stat too, that Joey has talked about before. It's a stat that Pete or that, um, that Bronson Arroyo has talked about before in that, you know, time played, you know, innings games, all that other stuff. That's a statistic that they all hold in very high regard. And it's not something that we as fans talk about because well, it's not sexy. Like you played in the game. Great. That's fun. But for players, that statistic is so key, and that's that's a stat that will never be broken by a Cincinnati Reds player. No, absolutely. These these numbers are fun, and I encourage you know, all you guys watching and listening today. Uh, I know it's it the the hot stove is pretty cold at this point, and if you're just looking for some fun, go dig through some of these historical numbers with the Reds. Uh, there's lots of great stories in there, lots of lots of things to just you know confirm some of the things we've been told all of our lives. You know. Frank Robinson was an old 30 when he was <laughs> traded. Go look at that age 30 season, uh, his first in Baltimore. Uh, and uh, spoiler alert, he won the MVP. Um, you know, on your shoulder. There was no there was no case that season that he was going to get that chip off of his shoulder. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's so lots of fun. Lots of fun in there. Joe Morgan's statistics while he was a Red. Uh, you know, most people probably don't realize that Joe Morgan played a majority of his career in Houston. But he's not associated with Houston at all. Uh, he's 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 a red, and that's because of 1975 and 1976. And you look at those numbers, and they almost make your eyes pop out of your head. It's just it's the stats are fun. I love the numbers, guys. I encourage you to go dig into them, check them out just a little bit. But Jeff, we're heading into my favorite part of the show now. We could almost do an entire side show just fun with numbers, Steve. Maybe maybe we ought to check that out. <laughs> Sounds like a Sesame Hey, we need content. Content in the offseason, buddy. Exactly. But we have got answers. You have got questions. We might have answers. I don't know. Usually, I have answers. We'll have Uh, an answer. We're going to see. I don't know what it might be, but we'll have an answer. (laughs) Usually. Hey, you know what? I'm him. Anyway, we'll get to those questions and those comments coming up here in just a moment. Before we get to those, though, want to let you know that you can follow us on Twitter in between episodes. We're on Twitter tweeting about baseball, tweeting about whatever. Uh, you can follow us at Jeff Carr with three F's. You can follow Steve at S Offenbaker with two F's. And you can follow the show at Locked On Reds. If this is your first time watching us, thank you so much for joining in on this live edition. We have gone off the rails formatically, but that's okay. We're having fun talking about some Reds baseball. And I know we got some questions. I know we got some thoughts about this thing about the future about the past all this other stuff see what do we got so for our audio feed we're going to take a few of these we'll keep you looped in for a while and then everybody remember when we do wrap the audio version don't go away we will continue on with the q a and that will show up in the audio feed as a bonus episode uh here on youtube we'll just keep plowing right on through and i'm going to start right here with will lentry because i agree with will my shirt is the bomb it is my who day Bengals Aloha shirt for uh, the uh, reigning and future AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Who day? Thanks. Thanks for noticing my shirt. And it's better than Jeff's. So there you go. 
need to give me one of them. I don't have I don't have a Bengals one. I don't have a Reds one. Yeah. Oh, you got You got to get in on the orders, my friend. You got to get in on the orders. Uh, Austin B says, after Joey, who is the next Red to get into the Hall of Fame? Also, does Brandon Phillips get any votes next season? This one's kind of interesting because I think Joey Votto will be the last player to ever go into the Hall of Fame as a Cincinnati Red. Um, I at least at least if this Castellini ownership group sticks around for a long time, if I have to make that determination now based on who owns this team now, then I'm telling you that I don't see another another player going into the Hall of Fame as a Cincinnati Red as long as those guys are in place, because nobody's going to be around here long enough for the majority of their career to occur in Cincinnati. Uh, now, listen, that's not an indictment of the plan, Jeff. I am yeah. OK with the churn and burn and flip as long as it's kind of a la Tampa where we're just always winning with new people. I'm good with that. Uh, I don't need hall of famers. I, I don't know that we'll have career reds anymore, but I think we'll still have guys that play maybe eight, maybe nine, maybe even 10 years as a red. So you still could make the argument if they're good enough that they could go into the hall of fame as a red, if they have a hall of fame career, the thing of that is predicting that is just so hard because there's a couple of factors in play. You mentioned the Castellinis. Also, what happens in the voting trend? Because we have seen a little bit of a shift here recently, but we still have plenty of dudes that turn in blank ballots that leave off guys that are definitely worthy. I mean, you're not going to tell me that Andrew Jones is not a Hall of Famer. That guy's a Hall of Famer. He should be in. Todd Helton should be in the Hall of Fame. But we got dudes over here that are over on their, their weird soapboxes talking about stupid voting tactics that they have leaving blank ballots if that changes it might become a little bit easier to predict the hall of fame but until that changes it's very very hard because you can say such and such you can say tyler stevenson you know begins a, to be a picture of health this year and just keeps it going for a decade and a half or something like that or jonathan india just takes off or maybe ellie de la cruz has a hall of fame career but it's so hard to predict at this point in all of their careers let alone the factor of baseball writers and how people get into the hall of fame. Like I just, it's so hard to say, which I guess probably as of right now, the answer is nobody. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, and to the second part of that, just very quickly, Brandon Phillips gets zero votes for the hall of fame. Uh, he is a career 28.4. He's a Reds hall of Fame player. He's a Reds hall of famer. Maybe if, People can stop being mad at him, um, but he's a he's Reds Hall getting... of Famer. Brandon Fe or uh, uh, Bronson Arroyo is a Reds Hall of Famer, but I, I never expected those not guys Hall to of get Fame votes. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't see that happening. Um, but Reds Hall of Famer, I could get on board with that. Oh yeah. Uh, sure. Here's one we haven't talked about in a long time, Jeff. Mike Singer, I hope I'm saying that right, checks in and asks, what are our opinions on a salary cap and what are the odds of having it happen in Major League Baseball? Uh, Mike thinks Major League Baseball is in dire need of a salary cap. Uh, you want to take this one first? I think so. I, I, I agree with Mike that Major League Baseball definitely needs it. The battle is going to be a bloodbath. I mean, we're, we're talking about because this is fresh on my mind. We're talking about like X-Men versus Sentinels here. It's going to be a crazy bloodbath. There's going to be a year of a lockout if Major League Baseball is serious about instituting a salary cap. Uh, we will miss an entire year of baseball. I firmly predict that happening. However, I, I would say in the next decade or so, I think it happens. Like I think that they go through this battle because it has to happen. There's going to be... Uh, because there's no way like Steve Cohen's don't grow on trees. You're not just going to have 
30 or if they expand to 32 teams like Rob Manfred wants them to, you're not going to have 32 Steve Cohen. So you're not just going to have guys that throw money at everything. You're always going to have the teams like the Reds, like the Royals, like the Guardians. The Guardians are successful at it, but the Guardians don't pay people. They don't have a, a large payroll. You're always going to have those teams that are like that. So to combat both the top end and the bottom end, you're going to have to create a salary cap that also includes a salary floor. And, and the players union is just not going to go for that. They're going to be pulled kicking and screaming into that world. Yeah. There's going to have to be a very significant carrot in order to get the players to approve that. And I'm not saying that it can't happen. Um, I agree with you. You and I have talked about this. Uh, there will be a significant work stoppage yeah. before a cap is instituted. Lockout, strike, I think whatever the word is. Yeah. Lockout strike, whatever it might be. Uh, one, one piece that you hit on, I think is a great component. Um, I see major league baseball tying expansion into a salary cap because you're going to be creating more major league jobs, which the union wants. Uh, if, that's the negotiation start, I think. And more money. Creating job. more jobs, you create a floor, you maybe improve player retirement, pensions, healthcare, you know, add start adding to things that the players have been fighting for for a long, long time. But the trade-off is gonna have to be a salary cap. And yep. it'll take it'll take a year or more, and hear me when I say or more of guys not getting paid before they'll agree to something like that. And even with the not getting paid. The, the carrot, the enticement is going to have to be something significant in order to get it to happen. Because that's going to be a situation where the owners and, and the Major League Baseball main office and, and everybody involved in making the decision to move forward with that plan, they will understand the consequences. And they will understand that it will hurt. Uh, in the short term, it'll hurt with the fans. It'll hurt with... Um, the players with with everybody that covers baseball and stuff like that but i believe it'll be worth it because at the end of the day this sport is getting to the point where you can count and not to give legitimacy to that stupid powerpoint that phil castellini had but there are 10 teams that are legit championship contenders the rest are a coin flip and maybe a lot less than that because you're not flipping a coin on the reds you're not flipping a coin on the nationals you're not flipping a coin on the Royals. You're not flipping a coin on the Tigers. Those, those guys aren't even in it. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Jeff Carr and Phil Castellini are friends. No. They're in lockstep. They agree. I'm not saying Jeff. Jeff wants to know where you're going to go. That's <laughs> that's where we're at. Good God. He was wrong no, for doing no, that. No, yeah, I'm yeah. just I'm just messing with you, my friend. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. And that is where we're going to wrap up the audio feed. Thanks for making Locked on Reds your first listen. Uh, now go make Lindsey Crosby and the MLB Prospects podcast your second listen. It's just like Locked on Reds. It's free and available on all podcasting platforms. Jeff and I will be right back in your feeds next week, keeping you locked on Reds every single day.